Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Just a heads up, this episode we will be discussing all manner of sexiness, sex toys and general obscenities. So if that's too much or if that's not your thing, get out while you still can. The tool is stationary while the work is moved back and forth. I want to have that Hidden in bedside tables or proudly displayed on your mantelpiece. Wherever you keep them, if you do keep them, sex toys have come a long way since the first phallic-shaped objects were found around 30,000 years ago. But before arriving through our post in unmarked tracked packages, where did sex toys start out? Yep, you've guessed it. We're obviously going betwixt the sheets to find out. What do you look for in a man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning a knob and pushing the button. Yes, social courtesy does make a difference. Goodness, what beautiful time. Goodness has nothing to do with it, dearie. And welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society with me, Kate Lister. Did you know that the global sex toy market was worth 27.17 billion US dollars in 2019? And that was before the pandemic. The industry is expected to be worth over 80 billion dollars by 2030, meaning that there are items of all shapes and sizes made of silicone and rubber, a bit of leather here and there, littered all around bedrooms and red rooms all across the world. But what do you think the first sex toy was made of? Charlotte and Sophie were sent out yet again to ask some unsuspecting strangers what they thought. What was the first sex toy? Yeah. It'd have to be a dildo, surely. Definitely. There's what? Cock ring. Copper piper. I potentially think it could be something to go in the bum bum. Right? <laughs> and it was probably made of made of wood or some sort of porcelain. I am absolutely buzzing to be joined today by Hallie Lieberman, writer, sex and gender historian and author of Buzz, the stimulating history of the sex toy, to discuss the first dildo, the myth of the vibrator and so much more. (laughs) 
So thank you so much for joining me betwixt the sheets. I am absolutely buzzing. It's sex toy historian Hallie Lieberman. And thank you, Kate, so much for having me on your podcast. I'm a big fan of your book, of your work. So I'm very excited to be here. Hallie, I want to know your expertise. I mean, as long as there have been people, we've been carving dicks and sticking stuff places that we probably shouldn't have been putting them. But what's like the oldest sex toy that has been found? Okay, so the oldest sex toy that has been found is like 30,000 years old. It's a stone phallus. There are debates found in like the whole Fells cave in Germany. And there are debates whether like these stone phalluses were dildos because there are no pictures of them like shoving them in orifices. So some people think that they were ceremonial, but it could be a sex toy. So that's the oldest. Whenever they unearth what's clearly a dick, there then ensues a big conversation about, yes, but what is it? And like, you can't say it's a sex toy because we don't know. It could be a coat hook. It could be ceremonial is what they usually say. So like, what's the argument for this one at 28,000 years old is definitely a dildo. And what's the argument against? Yeah. So I don't think people are saying it's definitely a dildo. It's more like, this is something it could be. And then the argument against will be like, oh, it could be a spear sharpener. That's the other thing. And it's like, why, (laughs) why do we need to sharpen our spears on dick-like objects like we don't do that today should I would love that but for me like when I was researching it it's like this kind of male fear of dildos and sex toys goes back so far so even if we see something that's clearly a dick sometimes other excuses are made for them or they're dismissed in some way so that's possibly the earliest sex toy that we've got let's like jump it on thousands of years because we've got to talk about the vibrator in the room don't we that myth you know the myth that i'm talking about hallie take it away yeah so there's a myth that probably some of your listeners have heard of which is that vibrators were used to treat hysteria in women in doctor's offices in the early 1900s and so The idea was women went into doctor's office, they said, oh, I'm complaining of hysteria. And what was hysteria? It could be anything. It could be just general malaise. It could be anxiety. It was this catch-all diagnosis. And so they would complain and doctors would say, hey, I've got a great treatment for you. Take off your britches or whatever they were calling them then. And I'll put this vibrator on your clitoris I will give you paroxysm as the story goes and you will be cured and a paroxysm is orgasm, but the cure will only last for a short time. You have to keep coming back. And the reason that vibrators were used as part of the myth is men's hands were getting tired. Male doctors' hands were getting tired giving hand jobs to women for hysteria. Now, this on its face of it sounds absurd and untrue, and it is. But this myth has lasted forever and it won't die. And there are lots of reasons for that. And it's been the subject of two films as well, hasn't it? It has. One starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. So it definitely seeped into popular consciousness. So how do you go about dismantling that? How did you prove that that didn't happen? Yeah, well, it started a long time ago when I was in grad school. And the assignment was check the citations of a book you're using for your research. 
and I did it. And so did the whole class. And I was the only one whose results were, like at first I thought I was like, I'm misunderstanding this. I'm in grad school. None of these citations are adding up to what the book is saying. There's something I'm missing. And my professor said, that's, you're absolutely right. These don't add up. And then I actually went to the archives, Bakken Museum in Minnesota and checked all our citations and found out none of them said this practice was happening. The problem wasn't that I found this out. The problem was getting anybody to believe me. No one wanted to publish it. They're like, oh, you're only a grad student. So you don't know what you're talking about. Like I was trying to like get it peer reviewed and published. And they were like, no, no, you're assaulting a scholar in the field. And it's like, I don't care anything about the scholar. I just want the truth out there. And that made me cynical. It took me almost seven, eight years to get it published. And finally it was just like, I gave up and just threw it to a new journal. I was like, this journal just came out. They have nothing to lose. And it worked. Thank God. And um, the earliest ones are stoned. But just speaking of how people made sex toys, Hallie, like what were they making them of? Presumably the stone model would have been replaced pretty quick. Like if you were in, I don't know, medieval, what would you make a dildo out of in medieval period? Yeah, I mean, there were dildos made out of all sorts of things like leather. There were dildos made of ivory. Those were like the main things until like rubber came along. And when rubber came along in the mid 1800s, well, actually rubber was before then, that that was when it was vulcanized. So there were these rubber dildos, except that they would crack because they were like this bad material, like before vulcanization. Ugh. And they couldn't be sanitized and they had a strong smell. And so that's what, there were a lot of rubber dildos. I've seen like uh, polished wooden ones, but these must have been quite pricey. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention wood. Yes, dildos were something like for the upper classes. These were not something that like right now anyone can afford a dildo. We can go to amazon.com. We could all order dildos one second. It would be like $5 cheap. But yeah, back then they were expensive. They were handmade. You know, we didn't have an assembly line making them. And so it was upper classes owning them. And just from my research, it looks like they were marketed to men to buy for their wives. The men who weren't intimidated by them. I mean, but they weren't that widespread. They weren't like what we would think of today. In the 1950s, so sex toys were illegal in the U.S. And sex toys started being illegal in the U.S. in the 1870s with Comstock, who was this anti-vice reformer. And one of the ways to get around these sex toy laws was to sell things as marital aids, which these laws stayed on the books for like a hundred years. We still have anti-sex toy laws in Alabama in the U.S., but there were two ways to get around it. One was to say it was for use in like a marriage relationship and it was for help with penetration during sex. So it was okay to sell a dildo that was a strap-on penis that was designed as a marital aid for a man to wear during sex with his wife. And it would specifically say this. And this is even in the 60s and 70s during the so-called sexual revolution. That's how dildos were sold. Even though women were obviously, and men, using them to masturbate. If you sold them that way, you could get arrested. Even if you sold them this other way, I've looked at the records and there are complaints saying it's obscene. When they were selling it like that, this is a marital aid that a husband can use. Was that like the way that 
herbal hyzer solders, air fresheners. Like everyone knows it's bollocks. Everyone knows what it's being used for, really. Or like, were they actually trying to sell it to men to strap on? It was a little bit of both because when I talked to manufacturers, they said there were men who wrote in who were impotent. I mean, because this was before Viagra. This was before there were treatments. So it was a little bit of both. But I do think people knew there were jokes about Marilites. Like, I think people knew that also this was their way of getting around the laws. I mean, vibrators were sold as marital aids too, even though mostly used during masturbation. And there were some sex devices, this is during second wave feminism in the 1970s and 1960s or vibrators, there's one called the prelude. And it was called that because it was considered a prelude to sex. And it very clearly said it was penetrative. You're gonna learn how to please yourself so that you can have sex with your husband better. And that was kind of the mentality and that was a way to get around the laws and the stigma. Oh my, I've never heard of that. So it was almost like this is a dress rehearsal dildo. I love that term, exactly, yeah. Just to take you back, because I think that we need to just go back to the Victorians. Who invented them? Who invented the vibrator? Do we know who invented it? So Granville, who, Joseph Warner Granville, who mentions in her work, was inventor of the electromechanical vibrator from that era. So he invented the plug-in vibrator, but before then there were vibrators, there were hand crank vibrators, one called the VD, super popular in England and US. Oh, wait a minute, the vibrator was called VD? Yeah. Oh, that's a marketing error. <laughs> it, it is. Oh no. It's like V-E-E-D-E-E. -E -E. But the hand crank, it was like, so you'd crank, 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 and then it would vibrate. But it was like, I mean, it would hurt your hand. It's like, you might as well masturbate. And this kind of vibrator, actually a hand crank vibrator came back on the market about 10 years ago as like earth friendly vibrator, like one that didn't require batteries. It was like this eco vibrator. An eco vibrator. Yeah. Wow. Okay, okay. And Mr. Granville, when he invented this, you can't see any here, but what it looks like is it looks like a lead weight on a piece of string that kind of, he called it percussing, didn't he? Like it kind of taps the body. Is yes. that right? Like it's not what you think of when you think of a vibrator and it's certainly not anything that you'd want near your genitals. <laughs> so what was it supposed to be used for? So there were like attachments that he discussed in his writings but one of the earliest uses he mentioned was for impotence. So it was oh, wow. okay. male impotence. And so it was for vibrating the perineum was one of the earliest uses and sexual uses. And he actually said, don't use it on women initially. And he was worried about that. But yeah, I mean, he tried it for all ailments. That's kind of like what vibratory massage was, like sciatica. You know, they were trying it for deafness at the time. Deafness. Oh, my God. Yeah. You can see old vibrator ads and they have like attachments that, you know, go in your ear. So he kind of threw it out there as a doctor basically saying, like, we're going to try out these different treatments. Here's what I have tried out. Here's a tool that people can use. And doctors took it and ran with it. And even cancer, like they tried to treat cancer with it. I mean, we're talking about the 1800s 
we don't have antibiotics. Medicine is so kind of archaic. I was just reading about leeches being used on the vagina last night. Anyway, so we have all sorts of bad treatments and the vibrator was thought like, hey, like this isn't gonna hurt people. They feel good. Let's try it for indigestion. And it actually works for that. People do it for babies. But anyway, all these different things. Well, no, sorry, go back. Whoa, vibrators on babies for stomach ache. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, so they marketed vibrators to babies back. I mean, obviously, no, babies they don't have didn't. Money. That's okay. <laughs> and can't purchase them. It was in the ads, like it would have for all age groups. So this is ads we're talking about 1910s around then. I mean, they were trying to sell this product. It wasn't entirely sexual. It was marketed as this kind of cure-all. It's like CBD of today or snake oil of then. So they're trying to get the biggest market that they could and it would be babies, it would be grandparents, it would be all ages. And just to clarify, these weren't vibrators that you were supposed to use sexually. These were like actual massaging things that you were supposed to use. Nobody in their right mind was actually suggesting that you use it sexually on all ages. No. So basically it was, and I'm just going to, because I have it here, I'm going to hold it up. But this is a vibrator from the era. And it was basically like had this big, heavy motor and lots of different attachments. And so a flat attachment might be what, which is on here right now, which of course people can't see, but it's like this flat rubber disc. And they would say, you know, you could massage a baby with that, but you could also order in a catalog where some came with a phallic attachment, which looked like a dildo or a rectal attachment. And those were usually 150 or $2 or more expensive than anything else. And that was for vaginal and uterine problems or for impotence or rectal problems. That was not marketed for kids. So. So obviously no one can see the vibrator that you are holding up. But if I described that, I'd have to say it looks, you know, like the old fashioned whisks that you used to have with like the two attachments. Like if you don't have the metal prongs in it, it looks like that. But with, like you said, a flat thing that kind of pats on the skin, like yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because that same motor that was used for the vibrator was used for a bunch of different things, including vacuums, including blenders, which is similar. This motor was used for small appliances like, you know, they just try to sell for everything. Vibrator is one of a lot. See, think of that next time you're whisking your eggs, that, <laughs> that technology. <laughs> when did they stop looking like a weird egg whisk because obviously the traditional shape like the cock shape has been quite consistently popular hasn't it like through and do you know, like one of the weirdest things that i found reference to just jumping around now but when they find like 18th century dildos they have plungers in them to like simulate cum like well surely one of the best things about a dildo is there's no cum who designed that <laughs> man of course yeah, no, the plunger dildos are really interesting. And they'll say like, you can put warm milk in them. And it's like, gross. No, I don't want warm milk Some in my horlicks. cooch. Ugh. Oh, just the thought process there of like, well, they must want the grand finale. Yeah. They can't possibly, they can't possibly want this. And like, and what were these women doing? What, they make their dildo 
come and then they go oh well we better go to sleep now because it's all over what <laughs> i know dildo's gone to sleep now it's pretty ridiculous and that is like kind of the story of dildo design is hyper realism like the assumption when they're designed by men is that women want sex toys that look exactly like penises i mean some sex toys designers looked at their own dick and made a mold of it but actually, one of my favorite sex toy designers did that, who worked with the feminist movement later, Gosnell Duncan. He was a paraplegic engineer who was designing a sex toy to allow himself to have sex with his wife because they got engaged before he got injured. So Stick a pin in that. We're coming back to that one. But when did they start being marketed penis-shaped on mass market and not like an egg whiff? Yeah, so... I tried to find this. This was hard to find, but I believe the first one I have ever seen was the 1950s. That doesn't mean they didn't exist before then. And that was hard plastic. They would use the hard plastic outside. And I think it was in part because of battery technology, because these were battery. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But those actually, so I saw one from the 50s, but you really start to see those in the 60s. And again, even though they look like dicks, like you know, abstractics. In ads from the 60s, you see women holding them up to their face going, ooh, personal massager. And it's like, uh, what? Has anyone in the history of sex toys used one of those neck massages to massage their neck, you know? (laughs) I would guess no. Or maybe like- No, that never happened. Yeah, never. But tell me about this guy, the paraplegic guy who invented a sex toy. I had no idea. Yeah, so his name, like I said, was Gosnell Duncan. He was born in Grenada. He immigrated to the U.S. And so he went to Brooklyn, met this woman. Well, he'd known her from his town, got engaged to her. But yeah, he was in this accident. The International Harvester Company in Chicago where a truck bed fell on him, he became paralyzed from the waist down and he was devastated because he was a ladies man. He had four kids from four different women before this happened and a skilled Calypso dancer. This guy was amazing. Oh. But I know, it, it was really sad, but he was like a very positive person. And so he did months and months of rehab. He got married in the rehab facility like to Angela, this woman he was in love with. But he said as he was rehabbing, no one mentioned sex. And this was in the 60s. No one. And they didn't see, you know, disabled people as sexual beings. And he's like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to have sex? And there were some sex toys on the market. They sucked. He was like an inventor. So he went to this conference in 1971 in Indianapolis, a disabled conference. He said, would any of you buy a dildo or a you know device for handicapped people bunch of hands raised up so he decided to design one he actually ended up inventing the silicone dildo no way yeah oh my god what was his name again Gosnell duncan all hail oh my goodness what an un- that's an unsung hero oh my god yes and he was dark-skinned and was annoyed that all the sex toys came in caucasian that was like flesh color was caucasian flesh and if you wanted anything else, it was like, oh, I'm holding this up thinking we're on video, but it was like just matte black color, not skin color. So he worked with GE to design the silicone and to get different pigments that showed black and brown skin color. So he was a real revolutionary. 
My God, that's incredible. And so when he pioneered the inclusive range of silicone dildos, was that not for his pleasure, presumably, but so he could pleasure a partner? Yes. What a legend. Oh, yeah. He's absolutely a legend. This is like a great immigrant story. But yeah, it was initially for Angela and for the disabled community, but he couldn't sell enough. He was making his basement in Brooklyn, literally like making molds, like pouring them in there, curing them and selling them. And people would send him these letters so he'd advertise and he would, you know, they'd say, this is my disability. And then he'd say, well, what are your penis measurements? And they would send him little pieces of string to measure the circumference and he would make one to their specifications. I don't know how that's managed to be really hot and kind of cute at the same time. That's just <laughs> like, oh, right. Well, he deserves a plaque or some kind of national day. Don't let anyone tell you immigration doesn't reap positive benefits. My God. I'll be back with Hallie and more naughty talk in just a bit. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Don Wildman. And on American History Hit, my expert guests and I journey across the nation and through the years to uncover the stories that have made the United States. From first flight to first ladies, from stitching the star-spangled banner to striking gold in California, to shooting for the moon with Apollo, we've got you covered. Catch new episodes of American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit, every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. talk about him a lot but you mentioned there about dildo sex toys and the feminist movement what did dildos because like actually when i said that out loud is you could be forgiven that the feminist movement might be about going we don't need dildos like you know like any getting rid of the penis you know the more radical stuff but so how does that fit together then yeah so in the 70s and 60s most feminists weren't talking about sex toys. Okay, let's just be honest here. But when they started talking about sex toys, they were against them for the reasons you say, like they were physical embodiments. Yeah, physical embodiments of the patriarchy. So it was like, if you're, you know, fighting against the patriarchy at day and then, you know, masturbating with a giant dildo at night, you're a hypocrite. That was the view of a bunch of feminists. So there was that kind of thing, like you can't do it in lesbians. There was a stereotype at the time that all lesbians just really wanted penises. Like they actually, like lesbian sex wasn't satisfying and what they wanted were dicks. And so a lot of lesbians kind of internalized that view and I didn't mean to make a pun or wasn't even a pun, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And they said, we won't use 
a dildo because for, you know, these political or philosophical reasons, especially because everyone assumes we like them and penetration is male. And so a lot of lesbians and feminists who wanted to use dildos did it on the down low and they were in the closet about it. <gasps> Surreptitious dildo use. Absolutely. And so then with vibrators, basically vibrators had a mixed reception as well. So Betty Dodson, this masturbation pioneer. So she was a second wave feminist pioneer, but she was like hated by a lot of other second wave feminists. So she was this artist who couldn't have an orgasm during sex with her husband. And she's like, what is this? What's going on? She ended up learning about the clitoris. She ended up learning about vibrators. Her lover was getting a haircut and they used a vibrator on a scalp. Cause they did back then in the sixties. I confirmed it with my father. <laughs> He's like, it felt good. Um, <laughs> you imagine today, if you just go to the haircut and the hairdresser just whipped out a rampant rabbit. I'll just finish <laughs> off here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. They would probably get arrested. And rightly so. Yeah, that's right. Like if my hairdresser did that, I would be so terrified. I'd probably call the police. So anyway, that's how she got introduced to it. She started using Hitachi magic, well, the precursor to that. And she wanted to share this knowledge with other feminists. So she started these kind of groups where there were these liberating masturbation groups where she'd teach people about their genitals because a lot of women were insecure about their labia and still are. And the requirement was you had to get naked before you entered the group. And that was like the worst part for most women. And then you get naked and she'd basically say you were normal. And you know, you'd look at your vagina and labia and then she taught women how to masturbate. And a lot of people in these groups had their first orgasms. So she was the real push to bring vibrators in the feminist movement. That doesn't mean they were accepted. She was criticized so much for doing this. And just to make, I mean, Again, she can enter my sex pantheon hall of fame. But just to clarify, when you're talking about vibrators here, we're not necessarily talking about the fake dicks that vibrate. We're talking about like specifically for the clit, they're called wands. Yes. Is that right? Like the Hitachi wand or as I like to call it, (laughs) that one. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what we're talking about. Things that were at the time sold as gifts for Mother's Day in the New York Times. No. Yes. And so we still have these two kind of uses in culture. We have Betty Dotson going, I have had a hundred orgasms from this and you should too. It's changed my life. You don't need a man anymore. And then you have, oh, buy this for your mom, like on May 8th. And so it was this weird, and we still kind of have that in our culture, but it was this weird kind of double life of the vibrator. And Hitachi wasn't admitting the uses. And she's like, Hitachi should have sponsored me. So these really were massaging devices to start with. They really were. And Hitachi just kind of just went, no, 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 for a long time. Exactly. But they knew what was going on. So it was like a tacit acceptance. Like they didn't tell her to stop, but they never said until I think it was 2010 or something, 2015. Then they, you know, admitted they were first. 2015? It was something, yeah. It was was when they they finally went, yeah, all right, we know what they're doing. Uh that's wild it took a long ass time and yeah so it's pretty crazy but she introduced them and you know she made this larger philosophical argument which i mentioned briefly which was like 
You shouldn't have to depend on a man for an orgasm. That women are having these like financial relationships with men where they're trading financial security with sex, but they're not even having orgasms for men. So don't worry about it. You know, make your own money. Your sex isn't tied up to a man. Use a vibrator, free yourself. And that was a very threatening message to men, even to other women, to gender roles and marital roles at the time. Wow. We've come a long way then, haven't we? Because talking about sex and pleasure, I mean, I would have said, that's a central part of the feminist conversation. Or maybe it's just the conversations that I'm having, but like making sure that you get yours. Yeah. The third wave feminism has come a long way. Absolutely. I mean, so at the time, like Betty Friedan argued like a thousand vibrators can't make a difference in the status of women. And others were arguing like, get rid of this orgasm politics. But now I think, you know, I mean, you see on Instagram, people promoting vibrators, even though it's against policy to market, openly market sex toys on Instagram or Facebook. But anyway, you see people posting things talking about the orgasm gap and how women deserve to have as many orgasms as men. And so, yeah, it's shifted. But I still think that women are reticent about demanding orgasms in a relationship. I still think there's a lot of public facing stuff that says that, but I still think they're in the bedroom itself. Some women are still uncomfortable about that. And by some women, I'm thinking of one of my friends in particular, who I won't name. Oh, I know. So I think that that is true. We're better, but I think we're still on this script of like, when he has an orgasm, that's kind of it. Yeah. You know, and that's, no, 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 no. You get yours. But just while we're speaking about men, sex toys for men, what's their history? Because you think sex toys, you tend to think sex toys for women. I mean, what sex toys are there for men and what are their history? So, I mean, the biggest, like, is the artificial vagina or pocket pussy. Did you say, of course? Yes. (laughs) And you shake your head, like, very knowingly. That that is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> very, very old. I mean, they're ones, I'm sure they're going back further than this, but I've seen like Japanese ones that are like 300 years old that are gorgeous, actually. Fabric. But, I mean, I don't know if they worked well. I'm not saying they were great, like for use, but they looked pretty. And there were also sex dolls made of fabric and things like that. Yeah, so those have almost as long a history as dildos, but they've never been as written about as much. And I think, again, they they aren't as threatening, so they don't have that kind of cachet, whatever. But in the 50s and 60s, they were sold as marital aids as well. And they're like these vaginas that look like deflated pool toys. That's the best I can, like the things people wear around their arms, little kids. armbands, yep. Yep, Yep. it looks like a deflated version of that in Caucasian flesh color. And it's sold as a way to, you know, have sex with your wife. So that's how that was sold in the US in the 60s. But what we have today, there's sex dolls, there's sex robots that are like so low tech, like they don't really work well. Like everyone's afraid of sex robots. And then you look at a video and it's like the head can move. It can't walk. It can't do anything. Like the fear of sex robots outshines the actual reality. But I would say the biggest thing for men are the flashlights. Wow. 
I mean, yeah, there's a whole big thing in there about sex robots, but like, you know, my phone won't even hold a charge. For, like, what are we going to do with, with a sex robot, for God's sake? But speaking of that, like, what's the future of sex toys? Where's it going to go? Like, you know, the design, I suppose, is it either goes in or it's something to stick something in and variations on that. But like futuristic sex toys, what are we talking? What's coming our way? Yeah, you know... As far as futuristic, I just spent like three days in a sex toy store actually for a story. And I was looking and what struck me is how old fashioned the technology is. Like the case looks different. The rabbit vibrator may be in a different color or may be made of silicone, which was a big innovation in the 70s. But the actual like eccentric motor used to power it is the same that we've been using for a hundred years. So in a way, the change, I mean, the biggest thing in sex toys is like the womanizer, the air, whatever they call it, the air suction vibrators. Do you know the okay. womanizer? I'm not familiar with this, but I'm going to make some notes. So carry on. Okay. Yeah, it's a clitoral stimulator. And so it creates like a suction on the clitoris and... It's almost like you're vacuuming. This is terrible way to describe it because it's not sexy, but it's almost like you're vacuuming your clitoris. But it- Nice. <laughs> I like to keep a clean shop. Uh, yeah. These are really popular. So that's like the new technology. But the future is, you know, possibly in things like sex robots, but people have been saying that's the future of sex toys forever and they haven't come to fruition. One of the things that bothers me is sex robots and sex dolls they're, are designed for men, just like, and they're very few male dolls. So even male dolls designed for gay men are hard to find. And then you see in these sex doll forums, the female users are like, oh my God, this thing's too heavy. I can't move Ken. You know, I can't move Steve around. Like he weighs 80 pounds, which is a lot. And so they can't move them around and they're like, I can't get off on my sex doll because he's just got like a regular dick and there's no clitoral stimulation. So that again, designed and have some of the same issues that like having sex with a human is. So there aren't any sex dolls designed for women yet sex doll technology is really expanding, but women have been kind of left out of it. I mean, if it was designed for women of a clitoral stimulator on the mouth, on the genitals, on the anus, who knows? It would just be like a giant clitoral stimulator with hair, face or something, <laughs> hair. Do, do you think that that's really telling that like sex dolls for men, like a massive success. And when they just made a sex doll for a woman that was just a man, it was shit. <laughs> yeah, I think it says so much. And not only was it shit, there were all these articles, especially in the UK, was like male sex dolls with bionic penises are taking over the world. It's like, no, they're not. Like, Jesus. No, uh, they're not. <laughs> what about something like virtual reality? Is that because presumably as soon as they've got that tech, that porn will play a part in that? Well, yeah. So porn is huge for VR right now. Huge industry. There's a lot of money. It's to already be made. here. Okay. And... I've got a VR device, actually. I don't look at porn on it because it's PlayStation. And so maybe I could, but anyway, I play Beat Saber. But that has become huge. And I've interviewed people who make porn for virtual reality and do sort of like cam girl where like you hook up your 
sex device and this porn star is actually controlling it. And I said, well, have you tried, you know, doing cam boys for women? And that hasn't caught on. They haven't really made an effort. And even like, I mean, a big problem with VR porn is it's male gaze on steroids. So that's what it is. I know like a few videos created for women, but mostly it's like the man's view of what's sexy and here are all these women you can have sex with. And it's not designed for women. And I think there's a real missed opportunity because I think women could really get into VR porn. God, yeah. I mean, like you don't want just like the VR where it's just somebody just getting you off. You want something like to be placed into that scene in Pride and Prejudice where Colin Firth was coming out of the pool and then suddenly the virtual reality takes over and suddenly, yeah, you're doing him. That would sell, right? Oh, my God. Just to have I given away too much of myself there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be totally amazing. Like, yes, everyone would love the Or Bridgerton or, yeah, I mean, it could be a big hit. But again, it's been ignored. And that's kind of like my pet peeve is like the leading edge of technology for sex products is again, you know, being directed towards men, even though like the great thing is that vibrators have been accepted on a level that they haven't been accepted since 1915 <laughs> when we were pretending there was something else. Although still you could advertise them more widely back then in the States, which is terrible. But yeah, this leading edge, so there's good and bad. Also, the other thing is teledildonics, the communicating via apps. Thanks to the internet, like if you had a vibrator right now and I had this device, I could use my app and make it vibrate. Oh, that's quite clever. Hilarious, but <laughs> clever. I mean, you'd just be buzzing your friends like when they were trying to do a presentation at work or something, wouldn't you? That's Yes, that is one of the downsides because they can be hacked. So when this first came out, people were, oh, no. yeah. Oh, now there's an error. There's a glitch. It's a real glitch. Like you do not want someone hacking into your bot plug. Like that is a nightmare. No, you don't. <laughs> of all the things. <laughs> of my bank details. Just don't do that. But I was just thinking like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bank details will be preferable. But I mean, that could be a good, you know, way to destroy a world leader like a Putin wore a butt plug and we hacked into it during like an important meeting. That would be great. But yeah, so there's issues with that that are trying to fix or they have fixed. And then there's other ones that you and your partner are both wearing a device and you're both controlling it. And so that stuff's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. Joe, you know I would love to stay here chatting with you, but I've got to kind of wrap things up but I, the last question that i'd like to ask you is so like we've spoken a lot about the history of sex toys and if anyone wants to know more hallie's book buzz the history of sex toys have i got that right is that the title give me the full title i don't want to get it wrong yeah it works i, I yeah, think it's uh, right yeah <laughs> you think it's right go and go and read that because it's absolutely incredible but if we've looked at the history and we've spoken a bit about what's coming towards the future but as someone who studies sex toys for a living is what is the future that you would like to see for sex toys and women? Like if you were in charge, what would you roll out? So if I were in charge, I think that I would roll out a, a sex doll for women, like I described, that had all the clitoral stimulators. That would be one of the things I would do. I would also have more research on women's sexuality at universities 
so that we can like, and research on sex tech at universities. I mean, there's some millions of dollars is spent on military tech and technologies of death, as I call them. If we spent even a fraction of that on technologies of sex, we could come up with something new. So I feel like that would be the greatest thing to me is if more research funds were put into this, studying women's sexuality and women's sexual devices and men's as well. And men's well, but they've been the star of this one for a long time now. I think that, yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? More research, more money, more resources, and more learning around sexuality and pleasure and women's sexuality in particular. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Hallie, thank you so much for joining me today. You are an absolute treat. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Like, it was great. I love your book as well. I have it. I read it. I cherish it. Thank you. We should just get together and just talk dick somewhere over a cup of tea. But until then, thank you so much for joining me betwixt the sheets. I hope that you have found this stimulating intellectually, if nothing else. Thank you so much to Hallie Lieberman for joining me and sharing your research. If you liked what you've heard, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. In the next few weeks, we've got episodes on royal sex, vasectomies and corsetry. This episode was produced by Charlotte Long and Sophie G. Join me again Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex, scandal in society, a podcast by History Hit. This podcast includes music by Epidemic Sounds. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.